Hi, book club members. I'm Jen Bozier. And I'm Carrie Honey. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 25, and our book is Watchers of the Throne, The Regent's Shadow by Chris Wright. This book is about the continuing adventures of Alea and Valerian as they chase down corruption on Terra in the wake of Gilliman's return. Wait, 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 wait. There's corruption on Terra. I know. Totally new. It's so difficult, but we're going to come, we're going to come to terms with this together Mm. as we discuss this book. Okay. Just like same shit, different day on Terra. I swear to God. We, we posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. And we encourage your participation in our discussions via Twitter, the site, YouTube, or Encrypted Box channel. Spoiler warning. If you haven't yet read the book, go to the site, check out the questions, and then come back to this post as we're going to be discussing this book in great detail from start to finish. All right, let's dive in. First off, did you like the book? Dumb question. Of course I did. Oh my god. <laughs> Did we was okay, let me let's ask that a different way. Was there was there even a possibility that you weren't gonna like this book? Oh, I can't say that. I mean you know, we've read so much of Chris Wright that's been so good. There could always be a letdown. <laughs> but this was not it by far. There could always just be that unsuspecting landmine where we're like, Oh, <laughs> that was a thing that happened. <laughs> um yeah, no, I Given as much as I love these characters, I love the setting, as much as we riff on Terra and the rampant corruption, I really do like Terra as a setting. I like how much Chris Rate is just continuing to build upon this world and flesh it out. And each book of his I read, I feel as though I better understand Terra. Good and bad. Good sure. thing, bad thing. <laughs> so I kind of went into this book just like, oh, I'm going to love it. And I did. How about that? I did. <laughs> so what parts really stood out to you? Oh, man, so much. All um, right. Pretty much any time Reboot was talking. All right. Um, I really loved seeing him play the diplomat. That we could really yes. see, you know, King Gulliman here coming in. He's basically, you wake up in 10,000 years and being like, fuck Christ. <laughs> What has happened to this place? So, um, by the way, we're changing all of this. All right. And we're fixing it for the better. But not just that all the fixing, but how he was able to handle people, you know, you know, and even he's talking to Alea, you know, and he was, again, looking right at her. Yep. Um, One of the few people. How much he honored her and how he had no idea what happened with the Sisters of Silence because back in his day, you know, they were so revered and so needed. And, you know, and she said when he has her out on the uh, the ceremony to be honored and she was like, I don't think he makes many mistakes. And that was a mistake to have me out there. But then she realized, oh, no, he just played me that well. And I hate him for it. <laughs> you know, it's like that he does. That's what a diplomat does. And that's, and to me, this was like a really, because he always talked about, you know, we saw in his Primark book, as well as we saw in the Dark Imperium, you know, what he wanted and still wants his ultramarines to be are not only these fine warrior, warriors, but these fine diplomats and politicians as well. And this was such a great example of him, right. of him doing that. Not only that, but he set such a precedent that he's gone after, what, the first 
first three chapters. So three first three chapters, right, yeah, because everybody gets a moment with them. Right. And then that's it. But it's like, and I know this is one of the questions that he's like, he's still there. So it just, to me, it also does, it just says, you know, how commanding mm -hmm. his presence is. The two things about him that really stood out to me in those first two chapters. So one is on page 13 and it's when he's like, okay, I'm going to leave. And Jack is begging him to stay. And she says, he closed his eyes and I stopped talking. For a moment, I perceived an enormous weariness him, in him, a mortal response to the infinite demands and hopes. I look back now and guess that every meeting he ever had ended the same way, with people pleading for more guidance, more help. And the reason that I like that so much is that later, I think it's page 29, when Alea meets him, and she's like, I don't know how regular people see Primarchs, but to me, he looks like an old man. And she talks about how he looks like a furnace that the fires were once raging and now they're just kindling. Mm -hmm. And I really love that. And I, we're definitely going to talk more about Gulliman later, but his, all of the descriptions of meeting with him were so wonderful. And I love, I love how enchanted Valerian is with him and the conversations with him. And, you know, when he meets with him and just how he continually throughout the book keeps going back to, well, the Primarch said, like this unmovable granite warrior, right? Is just enamored. Well, like, there was one theme throughout that, except for the Council of Twelve, you know, anyone who got a one-on-one -on -one with him, which, you know, includes Valoris and, you know, Valerian and Alea, even Alea and Jack, just being with him, there, I mean, it's just like, we will follow you to the ends of the earth, you know, just just so enamored by it because he just has that charisma and you know in reading the Horus Heresy they talk about that with the Primarchs to begin with that they all just exuded this charisma that mm -hmm. people would just listen and just do whatever they wanted just in the hopes maybe they would smile their way so they always kind mm -hmm. of you know kind of like a demigod they always kind of had this aura about about them so in a way it's kind of not surprising that his presence is so strongly felt because it is he is so charismatic that what his aura is anyway absolutely um to the fact that it you know kind of carries over into his shadow that he has left mm -hmm. on terra i thought it was so brilliantly done and of course you know hats off for chris to chris raid for keeping it like that where it never felt like it was um, Wilbur Boots said, Wilbur Boots said, Wilbur Boots said, it was just this mm -hmm. constant presence you just yes. felt. So before we dive more into the reboot thing, the other thing that really stuck out to me and it, the reason it stuck out to me is I remember reading the passage and it hit me so hard because we talk about this a lot, but hearing a character as powerful as this one say it really, I was like, oh, that's a gut punch. It's on page 45. And it's when Jack goes to speak with um, a Sheriel and to talk to, you know, to plead with him to get more troops, help us out, help us out. And he talks about how, um, let's see, for generations, the High Lords have treated the Guard as infinitely expendable. We were sacrificed in our billions for Terra. Now a general has arrived worthy of service who takes the fight to the enemy, not just hold them back. And it was just, it was one of those things where it's like, oh man, this is the most powerful military guy saying like, look, we are done with your shit. We are done with you sacrificing us. Just, we are done being the currency of the Imperium's war machine. 
Now it's like, oh man, it feels a little hollow given. Yes, very much. So I was just thinking that as you were reading that, I was like, I do remember that part, but yeah, no, I don't know how much he really believed that or part of it anyway. No, so the, I think he believed it a little bit, but part of me wonders how. I don't think the general was, he was, he was insinuating it was Gulliman, but I don't think it was Gulliman. No. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that because that part I was like, oh man, oh man. So talking so, about. This is the, the part, another part that really stood out to me. It's page 57 it's with Valerian and it's when they basically go tearing down this cathedral not yeah. not the cathedral but one of the cathedrals to take down these cults mm -hmm. and he's looking around you know because everything's just destroyed and he doesn't feel anything ab about it because as he says mm -hmm. this place was not holy to me and its many symbols of veneration were at best a misunderstanding of an old purpose and that to me is huge for a custodian. Yes does nothing but watch the throne he knows there's a being there that is not dead sort of for 10,000 years and even he's just like they like we understand we get kind of what you're thinking but you've really misunderstood his his purpose here which is pretty much like what the primarchs all said what the whole you know uh everyone who wasn't part of the um imperial cult so. Right. Well, I loved that scene too because it was so Valerian. He's so nonchalant about everything. I can't remember what page it is, but it's when he first meets the Imperial Fists. And the opening line is, his name was Torgaridon. And I'm like, oh, that's old so and so. Like, this is a chapter master of the Imperial Fists. And he's just like, oh, so it is? Guy, so this is this guy's name. And, um, you know, it's like, like, He's just so nonchalant about everything where he's just like, okay, so then all these, these things happened. And then these things happened. And when he was in that, when he was in that place, I was like, huh? Same thing. When he was talking about that, I was like, oh yeah. Just like nothing, nothing. Um, or sorry, he's the, he's not the chapter master. I just totally said that. Didn't I? He's I just, the, um, I was like, wait, no, what? <laughs> he's the captain of the third company. Okay. Um, he's one of the longest standing ones. Sorry. Okay. But yeah, I mean, just the way he says it, like this guy's famous. The way he says it is just like, oh, you know, that guy. But also when he's in that cathedral and he's looking at all these relics and he's just like, yeah, this is just a misunderstanding. <laughs> like, well, I'm not sure how much, you know, the custodies, especially Valerian, because he was a scholar, as they point out quite often, yes. really knows very much about the Adeptus Astartes either. And he's also very, he's very nonchalant about them too, when he describes them. And there is a little bit of, there's a little bit of looking down his nose at them. Like when he talks about um, the Minotaur and the Imperial Fist guy going at it and he's like, hmm, yeah, typical Astartes aggression, okay. Like, it's kind of like when you watch like your kids fighting, right? Where you're just like, get it out of your system, children. Again, though, it's this, yeah, it's this otherworldliness to them, I guess, and to him, which makes him see even more aloof and removed. So, but as we mentioned, so Gulliman's presence, or lack thereof, 
is arguably one of the strongest themes of this book. You could almost argue that the whole book is about Gulliman because it's so much of his changes and reactions to them. Mm -hmm. So let's start with the first part, which is what do you think of all the different decisions that he made along the way? Well, I guess to me, he didn't make, to me, he didn't make like that many earth shattering decisions. I mean, he just kind of came in, looked at the, to me, haha, earth shattering. I just got that. And I am hey! No, but he just kind of came in and was just like, you suck, you suck, you suck. You're a bad person. You're all off the council. I'm bringing in my own people. We're moving towards this change. We're going to make things back to, you know, how it was before, before y'all mucked it all up and peace. We're, we're done. And while it's like, yes, that is pretty huge. You just like dismissed council members at the same time. Is anyone really that surprised after the, how they behaved in, in the last book? I mean, he's not an right. idiot. Well, and I think that was the thing that shocked me the most was that it reminded me of that cartoon that I think everybody knows now that this is fine dog mm. where these guys, as you said, like your decisions led us here. And I think especially having come on the tails of um, the hollow mountain where Crowl is inside the hollow mountain. And, this is fine. This is fine. This is fine. We've got it under control. It's totally fine. That guy obviously gets killed, right. so and he doesn't Crowell, have to depose them. And Crowell's actually the one going, your tea party's on fire. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. this whole thing's... Yeah. But how could these people not look at that? You literally had demons on Terra. Like, how did they not look at that? The fact that afterwards they were like, we've survived for 10,000 years. This is fine. Yeah, Katia hadn't... Like... This is I mean, fine. This is. I mean, can you name any other time in the last ten thousand years where Cadia blew up and? No, oh, that one time. And the eye spread they blew open. It back together. No, just put it. Oh, okay. Flex just, tape. That I don't know why I didn't think about that. Big brain time. Mm-hmm. Some flex tape and some craggle. <laughs> and good hope. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is the point you're at. These are strange times, which is funny, given that we're talking about this in like the first week of quarantine for everybody during a pandemic. These are extraordinary times. And the fact that they're all sitting there like, no, 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 we just got to keep staying the course. But one of the things in particular, so two things, actually, I want to go back to something you said earlier, where you talked about how um, she was like, it was a mistake to have me up here. In some ways it was because you have this group that got rid of the Sisters of Silence. They're already pissed off because Gulliman fired their head boy. He's pissed off doubly now because now not only did Gulliman fire you, he's bringing back the people that you actively want destroyed. Right? I mean, but... I think he did that on purpose. 100%. You know what? He was like, how much of it is a Xanatos gambit, right? You know, like, I don't, because he told us, like, I don't know why your order disappeared and I'm leaving it to you to find out because he knows that most likely that faction is still on Terra somewhere and she will root it out. He has all yep. the faith in her that she will root it out and she does. For sure. For sure. That's why it's, that was an interesting plan. Um, the other thing is... 
in the end, when Jack realizes that um, she backed the wrong horse and that both the Navy and the Astra Militarum are both in cahoots, well, the leaders are in cahoots against Gulliman, the fact that when uh, I think it's a Sheriel who says he's like, dude, Gulliman doesn't know shit. He chose me. So how good could his judgment be? I was like, oh, okay. I can't argue that point, actually. No, that is true. Of course, you could also argue that he knew anyway, and he knew maybe this would all come to a head and this was how it was all going to clean out. And maybe not. Well, again, in the end, uh, when Russ Gabler, right, she's like, yeah, now I, I legitimately am the head of the administratum. There's nobody else here lurking out in the wings. Part of me did wonder how much of it was a Xanatos gambit either on um, Gulliman's side or on Valoris's side. But I Gulliman's... also wonder if Gulliman had a nice chat with Phadix. And Phadix might have put in a few thoughts. Speaking of that, one of the decisions that surprised me the most is the people that he immediately gets rid of are the people who are static. The people who treat the Lex as a non-breathing document to be obeyed to the letter. Especially given that the Ultramarines are renowned for treating, I mean, there's an entire trilogy, well, technically two trilogies, written about this concept that the Codex Astartes is not to be deferred from. It was interesting to me that when he comes on Terra, he's like, oh yeah, all of you people who think that we can't be flexible, get out. It's like, oh, that's, that's a bold move. Well, you know, it's like, he's like, the more like guidelines. I mean, right. again, Gulliman being the ever diplomat and politician and royalty, he knows this stuff has to be flexible. It's just like, yes, here are these guidelines. These were perfect 10,000 years ago. Why haven't they been updated and changed? And Right. But similar to the Ultramarines, you can at least see how that happens, right? You get those people who are staunch. We do not, we do not uh, diverge from this. And then their successors also know we are staunch. I was taught this way. So you can see how it just keeps building and building and building till eventually you get into this way, right? But again, again, they're also going against the guy who wrote part of the Lex, who, who is saying, you guys are nuts. Like, don't take this stuff well, so literally. To be fair, though, I mean, when you look at authors' reactions, uh, J.K. Rowling is particularly egregious for this. I should say I've never read any of the Harry Potter books, but I watch people's reactions. Um, she's particularly egregious about going back and being like, actually, this character was like this, or I should have done this. And people are like, stop it. Shut up. You don't get to edit your work after you've written it, apparently. Now, no, but this wasn't simple. some book of fiction either. <laughs> this was That's true. This was like the this a this constitution. Would, you know what? This would be like if John Adams and Thomas not, George Washington and all of them came back and saw how we were treating the constitution and just be like, y'all. Like <laughs> clearly we didn't mean this when we said this. Right. But you know what? You'd probably see similar reactions and resistance. 100%. 
It's except for my dad, because <laughs> John Adams is like right below God. Yeah. So one of the things that I found really interesting about this, though, or and I guess not interesting, but I guess I think of myself as cynical, and it's one of the reasons that it's Alea is my homegirl. Um, but even I. Like rampant corruption, eating fine food while the half of Terra is starving. Okay. Actively destroying and murdering all these people, destroying all this stuff on Terra just to prove a point so you can get your job back. Omelets and eggs, Jen. Omelets and eggs. Bruh. Even I didn't think they were that bad. <laughs> like, I was legitimately, when I got to the end, I was like, oh, you sons of bitches. Like, this isn't even about the people. This is just about you keeping power now. Which, which that's what it was in the last Watchers of the Throne book. Yes. You know, when Tyrion went to, um, not Slist, but the guy with the really long H name, that I'm just like, yeah, that guy. Uh, Hematalian. Hey, hey, sure, whatever. Yeah, something like that. You know, and he's like, wait, I got to talk to you about your friend Reboot. And Tyrion's like, isn't he great? He's like, he has to go. Like, right. What? I mean, there was Which, already that right power struggle or fear of a power struggle. Can I say something about that, by the way? Sure. When Jack goes to see Tyrion and she's like, who, who would be behind this to actively move against the Primarch? And he's like, oh, Phadix, for sure. My first thought was, uh, how about the asshole who came and told you you got to get rid of Gulliman? That would have been my first name. I would have been like, yeah. Hey, Metallion, he that guy's definitely doing some squirrely shit. So I didn't know if he intentionally gave her. I don't think he intentionally did, but he may not be, you know, just as in tune. And he's probably clouding, you know, what happened with his own agent, what Fadix did. And then Fadix is like, well, you brought this on yourself. It's your fault. She's dead. Mm -hmm. I might have killed her, but it's really your fault that I had to do this. You know, like the abusive spouse. Right. Um. So I can kind of see why he would he would say that. And he probably didn't take what Hematalian said so seriously. Right. For he's sure. Like, yeah, he's maybe. Like, yeah, this guy's power hungry and you know and all that, but he wouldn't kill all these people. So he had my naivete and wishful thinking. I I never felt like such a Pollyanna. Got to the end and was like, oh. Why? Well, again, I just, I didn't think that they would be that evil and bloodthirsty for it. I was. Oh, I did. Even I was disappointed. Okay, so I guess I have a little bit more Pollyanna and optimism in my heart than I thought I did. It's not entirely cold, dead, and black. I mean, like, as soon as a Ross Cliver met with her and was like, there's someone within, I mean, it was just like, you know what? I've read this before where they, politicians have let these cults fester to try mm -hmm. to get popular support. So I am with this. I had a, and thanks to my husband, always watching NCIS, my immediate thought went to Perth because uh -huh. she was being the most helpful. And that's what you do in NCIS. The person who's the most helpful is always behind it. I actually was really rooting for Perth. I was hoping that, I was actually hoping that maybe she wouldn't turn on a Sheriel because she tells you in the very beginning, oh, we've served together for so long. 
I was hoping that maybe she would be like, look, I'm not going to turn on my buddy, but I will help you a little bit. I was a little disappointed when I saw her there at the end. I was like, girl, what are you doing? That, that bummed me out a bit. So let me ask you this. We have Gulliman and all of his decisions going on over here, right? And the other meat of the story is Alea's own research, right? Mm -hmm. What, so what are the long-term implications of her research? She has now shown that A, the Selenar used to be on Luna and after the emperor, they, he then gave it to the sisters or that the church basically had all of these people killed and removed? Well, it kind of doesn't surprise me that the Ecclesiarchy and all these people were removed because, like they said, they're soulless. So that's, you know, makes me wonder if they're all gingers. But, you know, they, um, <laughs> you know. Um, she has black hair on the cover. No, no. I knew she did. I was trying to make. Joke. I know. That was for Blake. I know. Um, he is a ginger. Huh? He is a ginger. No, he's not. He always looks like he is. He's very pale. He's pale, but he's not redheaded. He's he's a blonde. Oh, in his pictures, he always looks like he's strawberry. Oh, Anyways. I can't wait to tell him that. Uh, <laughs> Blake, you're a ginger in my book. All right. But anyway, um, just, you know, them being soulless, you know, because I have, you know, and I've read, I'm sure you have too, other fantasy novels that featured... A certain race of people who maybe not not be soulless, but maybe couldn't see magic, and magic didn't work on them for one yes. reason or another. And so, those who practiced magic, or like you know, even the holy people, um, hated them, damned them, right? Wanted them all killed. And I kind of saw that they're very similar, similar to yes. That. I would not, say that's accurate. And not only that, but you know, the, um, you know. They talk about this a lot, obviously, in Eisenhorn as well, that, you know, these soulless ones, the pariahs, they have this aura about them that people are disgusted and they don't even know why. So they automatically don't like a person. And mm -hmm. I can totally see um, a devout, crazy ass ecclesiarch just, just being, just, you know, wanting to hold up the cross or, you know, the sign of the equivalents, be like, you know, be, be gone, demon without fully realizing like really what their great purpose was um, back in the day. And as you know, of course, you know, when the emperor fell, the cult, the imperial cult was able to mm -hmm. rise on up and take things the way, how, how they wanted, you know, most likely um, Lorgar probably had a high disdain for the sisters of silence. Yep. Well, see, I actually would have expected it to be the Inquisition. And bear with me here for a second. A lot of the Inquisition are psychers. Oh. They, they utilize psychers a lot. So, so if you remember, especially in the heresy, the sisters' most prominent use was whenever they were battling the Thousand Sons, right? That's who Lehman Russ brings with him to Prospero is a whole contingent of them. They are very much anti-psyker people. So I kind of expected it to be the Inquisition because the only blunters that they really use, because if you remember in Eis the Eisenhorn books, he talks about how much the other Inquisitors hated the fact that he kept 
blunters with him. And the only ones that the Inquisition really sanctions are the um, Calexus in the Officio Assassinorum. So, and those are the ones that they have control over. So I was actually totally expecting it to be Arcs. And when they revealed that it was the church, I was like, oh, that makes sense. But I didn't see that coming, actually. I was actually very surprised that Arcs was not on the revolution side. Who saw that coming? The Inquisition I... was the trustworthy one. They had to have another game, <laughs> game going on there. <laughs> I mean, especially with, you know. She's playing a longer game. Right. Just, I, you know, I, I don't know. And I think that the Inquisition on Terra, from what I've seen with Crowell, is maybe slightly different from some of the other Inquis and the Inquisitors that are out in force elsewhere. That's just what they want you to think. Oh, that could be it, too. But, I mean, just for the fact that Gullman is, I mean, we were watching in Dark Imperium how he says he's not, but he is setting a war against the Inquisition. Mm -hmm. I was really surprised that Arx was not against him. Now, at the same time, I have to remember the Dark Imperium begins 100 years after he wakes up. Yes. And this all takes place just a few short months mm -hmm. after he leaves Terra. So, right. This is all early on before he uh, went against the Inquisition to learn things. And they're like, you don't need to know that. And he's like, the hell I don't. Right. <laughs> like, who do you think right. you're talking to, man? Yes. And yeah, there's a whole lot going on with the Inquisition, I think, especially after. I think, and that might have been one of those things where in the beginning, Arcs was like, no, 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 this is fine. And then. A hundred years goes by and they're having to send assassins out to kill entire space marine chapters because they mouth off. You know, I, maybe they backed, maybe Arcs backed the wrong horse. Oh, no, this is going to be fine. Oh, this is not fine. Or it's possible Arcs wasn't part of sending that assassin. We don't know. That's true, too. But I will say <laughs> that... Uh, this whole thing, the fact that the when the ecclesiarchy is revealed to be the people who get rid of the Sisters of Silence, all I could think about was Freighter Matthew and how he's clearly an Alpha Legion plant. And I was like, man, you just cannot trust the ecclesiarchy. You just can't. Like, are you part of the ecclesiarchy? Mm -mm. You're the traitor. Just saying. That one, So that actually surprised me a little, but I don't know here's what i would ask so that has major wide-reaching implications and again ends with a voicemail hey rob funny story um so we just changed your council all over again <laughs> well just the fact that those are the people getting rid of the sisters of silence i imagine given how much he already doesn't like the ecclesiarchy i wonder if he's gotten that phone call yet <laughs> well that may be part of the reason why he he has a bunch with him that could be. And I that don't remember reading if Frater Matthew had a problem with them or not. I don't remember. Well, he has that sister kill the one who's with the saint. I don't remember. I don't remember him specifically saying he had a problem with them. But, but so here's the question I have is that's all interesting. Mm -hmm. Definitely ends in a phone call. Right. There has to be a reason that they brought the Selenar back up. And I can't 
think of what that would be other than the fact that hey isn't this an interesting thing that we brought back from some of the stuff that we've mentioned previously or some of the stuff that's established lore like here's a little here's a little easter egg for you mm-hmm. and maybe i'm just putting too much too much onto it but i did that was my first thought as i got to the end and i was like huh i wonder what like i wonder why yeah exactly <laughs> you know and i think that valerian had like the best take on that because mm-hmm. he kept saying he's like he said you know myths that we don't know what is history or not and she's like well they said that the emperor killed them all and took all their stuff he's like again myths that we don't know if it's true or right. not you know because like and he even saying that about his own story you right know, where his story is the emperor saved everybody saved everybody from these women and did this like to, in my opinion, it's most likely somewhere in the middle. Right. Probably. So speaking of Valerian, the Valerian at the end of this book, <laughs> you guys, seriously, if the third book doesn't have them making giant soulless babies, I'm going to be very <laughs> upset. I could write just like a whole tome of fan fiction that I would call Fifty Shades of Gold. Lots of gold armor. Anyways, um, I fanned myself a lot, especially on um, what page was it? I have it in my notes here. Page 85, when he talks about missing Alea. And he says, I wished for that again, even as I understand it was a different species of weakness to do so. Anyways, (laughs) fangirl. Um, That was like Bioware levels of fan service. (laughs) Seriously, like... Chris Rate has to be aware at some level that he has like female followers who read that and were like, but again, as I've said in the other articles, these are just human feelers. Everyone likes a good friendship. So, but he is a very different Valerian at the end of this book than he was say at the start of the first book. What do you think of this transformation that we're watching unfold? I think we are watching a brand new custodies. No, you know, maybe the custodies that we had back in the Horus Heresy, you know, ones right. that didn't just sit around and stare at a throne with a corpse in it. Right. You know, um, watching him, not only how much he idolizes the Primarch, but how much he idolizes the Imperial Fists. As soon as he gets around the Imperial Fists and all of a sudden he's like, these guys are doing something. These guys are taking action. And when Valoris is like, we mustn't do anything. And Tor Garadon's like, we must do something. And Valerian's like, I'm, I'm with Garadon. See, like, it actually, I found it much cuter when Valerian was just like, um, how he talked about her yearning to fight alongside Garadon again. And he's like, oh my God, Garadon is here. It's so cool. You know, just, you know, because he feels like he can really let loose right. around the Adeptus Astartes. Mm-hmm. Well, and also prove something right because he's he's a custodian that wants to take action he's here to do something and <sighs> did you like it when garadon <laughs> called him a child yes i thought that was oh, brilliant oh my god that well because 100 percent accurate okay. right because again he has this well i've i've heard about humanity and i do understand that there's a universe outside of terra and garadon's like dude you have no idea. We've been out there. We've been fighting. Y'all have been holed up in the goddamn palace. 
I thought that was great. And it, and you can tell that that really hit Valerian because he mentions it later where he's like, he's right. We are children. Mm-hmm. It's like, he ain't wrong. It was such a neat thing to watch. And I think I joked with you that in some ways it feels like this corruption of him, but not like in the chaos way. Like, he starts off as this noble scholar who these are the rules and this is what I do. And then slowly but surely, you know, the rules are kind of dumb and I want to go out and fight. I want to take the fight to the enemy. I want to do these things. I want to follow the Primarch. And the thing for me, especially that really hit home, was the fact that he has the laurel and how everyone's always like, the laurel. Dude, that's, he's em- like, that's embarrassing. Laurel. Take that off. Yes, and he's like, no. <laughs> Because now, Primark especially on the, this. maybe, especially maybe actually the, think of like Fridays. Like my mama gave me that chain. <laughs> right? Yes. Well, he looks like little space Caesar on the cover. <laughs> um, he just reminded me of like, do you remember when you were a kid and like, especially when Debbie Gibson and Tiffany were really big, and because we're that age um, but when you would buy something that like a celebrity wore and then you would feel like oh i look just like this person it felt almost like celebrity worship that he had going on especially when he with the laurel how he's just like that's right this is an ultramarine laurel because <laughs> the ultramarines are doing something it i love his transformation i think it is so wonderful and you still he still has that scholarly nonchalant but the scholarly thing him. i think is so great because he knows so much history he knows you know he was the one who knew that language was chthonian that's huge you know right well and i just love the idea i especially love the idea that he has friends now and he values that friendship from alea and it's not just because i like this like little private romance between the two of them the idea that he's like there's something more important outside of the palace. It, this is not our whole life. And I also do kind of like the destiny thing. Because remember he talks about how he's like, I was a- unable to go into the throne room. Maybe that was the emperor telling me something. Like maybe the emperor oh, intentionally hands, kept me out. Hands down. Absolutely. The emperor was just like, nope, I have Which other plans for you. I think also makes me more think that he is a god. <laughs> I think I'm back on the emperor of the god thing. Because I was you like... Know, that's a good point. I am sticking with my dogma skee-ball theory, okay? I, he is that old man in a coma. Waiting for Could someone be. to pull the plug. Could so be, he, but so I, loved, I loved the idea that maybe the emperor was like, you've got bigger fish to fry, son. I need you out there. And I just love his transformation, and I love all of his interactions. He, right now, Valerian is probably one of my favorite characters and that's across all of the series that we're reading i can see that yeah i i just love him so let's talk a little spoilers what is the deal with the minotaurs well first of all i had to look these motherfuckers up because when valerian was just like ugh the minotaurs and then i was like well who are these people and then garadon's reaction to the minotaurs and just how obnoxious the Minotaurs were back. I'm like, all right, that's it. I have to look this up. So I immediately pulled up my little lex- um, lexicanum on my phone, researching it. And it's like, like, okay, where did they come from? Who knows? Like, okay. They're probably chimeric. I mean, it was like, you know, they came in the 35th millennium. 
No idea what their founding chapter is. No idea who organized them. No idea where they came from. Rumors that they're tied to the council, which I think they are. I think, <laughs> I think this rate is, like, there's no rumors about this. They are. Oh my God. So let's talk about that really quickly. So not only are they the shotgun of the administorum, which because they are not a subtle weapon. Like, in a universe, I feel like that... Because nothing in the 40k universe is subtle, really. They're not a than... shotgun. They're the mortar rocket. All right? Probably, yes. They are straight up the rocket launcher of just... Like, again, in a universe where there are very few subtle instruments, the Officio Assassatorum is probably the subtlest, right? Um, and even then... They are definitely heavy-handed. So here's my question to you. In the end, Roskabler walks up to Moloch and she has that symbol and they talk about how he kind of looks like he's in a trance and he just kind of stands there and he leans down so that she can whisper something in his ear and he leaves. What happened? Uh, I have a few things. Um, so I, I kind of my first idea was that she was basically like, look, your masters are no more. Like, like she had or rather a, I'm your master now. Right. You know, your masters are no more. I am now in charge. You will stand down type thing. But you said he looked like he fell into a trance and I didn't remember that. Uh, I can't remember what line it is. I'll have to find it. But if that's the case, then I'm wondering if there's some Pavlovian command. Remember the Dark Angels? The Primaris Dark Angels? Battle stations? Mm -hmm. There might be something with that. That was the first thought that I had as well. Was And I have to figure out which page it's on. Um, but yeah, he does say, he's like, because he, remember, they're all there and they're all like, they're ready and they're gunning for a fight and she bamps onto the ship Right. She holds up that thing and Moloch just freezes. He doesn't strike me as the type of person who would come to heal to someone he didn't know. Because they don't describe him like that at all. Um, oh gosh darn it, now I'm going to have to try and find this while we're talking. But So yeah, is it one of those things where it's battle stations? I don't know. Um, interesting though. And I'm sure, I am sure, um, let's see, I think it's on page 292. Let's see. She came up to Moloch looking, Moloch let her approach. He waited for her as if suddenly subject to some hex or enchantment, his mighty limbs bound by unseen forces. Hmm. So this guy is like ready to start a fight and then all of a sudden freezes. I got to that scene and I was reading in bed and my poor husband was trying to sleep. It was like two in the morning as I was reading this and I was just sitting there like, oh my God, what is going on? It's not easy being married to me. Anyways, that scene in particular. Let me ask you a question though, slightly more pressing. Hmm. How the actual fuck do they have Primaris Marines? And I know 
I know how they have them literally. They work for the Administrorum. The Administrorum was clearly like, okay, here's some Primaris Marines and more better weaponry and all this kind of stuff, right? Where they're clearly they keeping them, them stuck. Yes. Well, I get that too, because obviously they're the Administrorum and they've got their hands in everything and they can get all this stuff, but did they just grab some random Primaris Marines and were like, oh, yeah, we'll go ahead and put the Minotaur armor on them. But remember, the Primaris are more. So like they talk about how all of the Primaris Marines are really exhibiting their gene seed qualities. And when he runs into the Primaris Marines, he talks about how super aggressive they are. What have you been doing, Belisarius Cole? Nothing good as usual. So here's here's the thing. And again, this I'm fully willing to admit this could be me reading way too much into stuff, but you guys, these are the thoughts that make me like really excited. What if it's that they're not a chimeric chapter? What if somebody absolutely does know who their gene father is? If you recall when Belisarius Call is talking with Gulliman in the Dark Imperium books, he's talking about how, look, you know, we have all the gene seed from the other, the traitor Primarchs, and your dad really did intend all 20 of you, all 20 mm -hmm. of you. What if the Minotaurs are one of the, the Primarchs that got axed? And somewhere along the lines when they did the Cursed Founding, they were like, oh, there's all this gene seed sitting here. I wonder what it's for. <laughs> all this gene seed going to waste. I'm telling you, you guys. This is the stuff that gets me really excited and happy. Man, it'd be so crazy if Games Workshop actually did admit, or, well, they wouldn't admit because there never was right. second and 11th to begin with, if they right. officially announced, by the way. Right. Oh, yeah. So, okay, so working backward here on our question, you didn't realize you didn't know who the minotaurs were mm -hmm. i when i got to that and he said he was like oh the minotaurs have come to terra i was like oh my god and as soon as i said that aloud my husband was like did you meet the, the minotaurs and i was like <laughs> i did so given the history that terra has with the with space marines in general and how much they dislike them was it as surprising to you as it was to me that the Administorum totally has their own pet space marines on a leash? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on who you ask about that. Because obviously they were with that other guy, long name. And because even Ross Gulliver was just like, we have Adeptus Astartes here, and all they do is make a mess and leave. Like, she's, like, not happy. Of course, you sound, you make, you, you think she's talking about the Imperial Guard, but she's not, not Imperial Guard. The, um, the Imperial, Imperial Fists, Fists. But she's not. She's talking about, you know, the, the, the Minotaurs. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, actually, to me, it totally makes sense for the Administratum to kind of have these pets to let right. loose every once in a while, but then they'll bring them back to their cages when they're done. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't like, right. I think they don't like the Adeptus Astartes because they don't, they can't control them. But these, they can That's control. what I was just about to say. We don't want Adeptus Astartes here. Unless we have complete control of them and they answer to us and only us, which because actually that, makes the Minotaurs that's perfect, That's what this right? whole book is about, is about control and who has control. 
Absolutely. 100%. The whole time the emperor is sitting there on the throne going, someone make me a text to you know, speech to text device. Does Brother Alphabasa have an episode about the Minotaurs? I don't know. If not, he should do the thing. (laughs) So speaking of that, so that was a big surprise. Were you surprised by the traitors and the non-traitors in the end? Um, The only one that I did not predict was Phadix. I didn't either. What so Which at that like, point, I was just like, okay, he's just a professional asshole. <laughs> well, I even said to my husband, after she, Jack goes and sees Tyrion, and he's like, oh yeah, it's Phadix. I was like, God, I hope it's not so on the nose that the Officio Assassatorum guy is trying to cause some shit. Because they've already painted him as being kind of a slinky asshole. So I was going to be really disappointed if he was, in fact part of the conspiracy so when i saw him there at the end it, actually that scene when um when they're talking to kind of try to negotiate a peace plan there and Fadix is just like this is stupid bullshit i was a little disappointed and then you get to the end and how okay so having just recently read lords of silence how delightful is this ending in general quite with although i did have to reread a certain couple of paragraphs over and oh, over really? again yes yeah, so oh. when jack said but darren was always a figment of my imagination he was never there i was like what the fuck are you talking about like are you gonna do pull a dallas on me i mean i'm not like it's bobby ewing in a shower like i, I i'm not cool with this and then i was like okay you know what i didn't miss anything just keep reading and yeah so my first thought, I had the same thought, actually, when I was like, what are you talking about? And then when she starts explaining, she's like, oh, yeah, how would a callow asshole like Darum have risen this high? Oh, because he was a callous assassin. I do like how her chapter, by the way, starts with there saying, I was right. There were 12 of them. You know, the 12, I was like, there we go. There's the missing 12. Yep. See, and here I was thinking about the missing 12 was what they sent out to take care of the celestial lions behind everybody's back. You know, that's where that's, I thought the same thing. Actually, I was, I was like, going. "Ooh, I know what you bastards are doing, which to be fair, given the times that all this is taking place, it is wholly possible that one of the people, the one of the women that were cheering in this book was 100% killing the celestial lions later. Yes. Mm-hmm. She's a busy woman. You know, she's got all kinds of stuff to do with her time. Um, let's not put it past her. But that scene, the whole thing from start to finish, really from the time that Valerian goes and chases and meets up with Alea, and they're fighting with the Minotaurs. And when he kind of does the math in his head, because she's like, come on now, or I will leave and you will have to kill me. And he's like, why would Valora send me mm-hmm. in here to do this? Well, he's not cruel. Why would he do that? Uh, oh, oh, okay. We're supposed to go. <laughs> like, right. From that point on, I was like, oh, Vorks. I mean, Valoris. <laughs> I don't know why, but that's a plot device that I always love. The person who looks like they're not doing anything, but really, oh, no. There's so many pieces moving that you just don't know that they're being moved. 
Exactly. But when she, yeah, from that, that made me like Valoris. This whole time I was getting so frustrated with him. Right. Well, me too, because I was just like, I mean, I I have in my notes. There are parts where I wrote in my notes. You son of a bitch. Actually, uh, I, I wrote in all caps. Valoris is a useless asshole. I kept that in my notes after I realized because I was like, I should capture that piece. Um, I loved it. Oh, I loved it so much. But when Phadix is like cowering and the Vindicare and the Kalidus show up. <laughs> so good. Let me ask you this, though. What did you think of Jack's involvement and or contributions to the story? Before we get into that, I want to back up to probably my favorite part with Let's the whole Valyrian um, when he's fighting the Minotaurs at the end. At which point, I was just, just like, "Yeah, go, go, kill them all!" You know, just, just, I because I hate I hated them the whole this whole book. It's fair, uh, um, but when he gets excited about going up against the Primaris, he's like, I always, yes! you know, I sized them up in the beginning and I was wondering, I was like, you know, how tough would this be? And then he kills them. He's like, oh, they go down like the others. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So much. Yes. Actually him in that fight in general, when he talks about how just exhilarating he feels and how this feels at home. And I, especially when he's fighting with Alea. I just loved it. And I loved every Alea. time he twirled his spear to, you know, block, you know, ricochet. It made me think of uh, Deadpool, except that, you know, he was actually ricocheting off the, the shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't like, your bullets really hurt. <laughs> um, yes. And both of them in action. I know I made this joke last podcast, but I'm going to say it again. I would love a short story or a novella or, God forbid, a whole book just called hunting and killing with Alea and Valerian, but just battle scenes because them fighting together is just <laughs> warms the heart. It's so awesome. Actually, when my husband was reading this book, cause he read it before we did, when he got to the end, he was going, oh, you came to the wrong fucking house. <laughs> reading it, I was like, they did come to the wrong fucking house. <laughs> <laughs> they did not know who they were fucking with um okay so going back to your going forward now to your mm -hmm. question about jack so when i got to the end of that and she was realizing that she kind of did nothing in the grand scheme of things okay so it reminded me of a certain episode of big bang theory bear with me here okay because I, I, I know you hate that show um this is Triggered. when it's when sheldon is dating mayim biolic and she has never seen Indiana Jones. Like she's not sent up a nerd that they are. Mm -hmm. She watches it, and he's like, "So what do you think?" And she goes, "Well, if you think about it, everything would have happened with or without him. They would have gotten that idol with or without him. They would have gotten the ark. It would have killed them. He really did nothing the whole movie." And they're all like, "Oh, you're right," and it ruined the movie for him. And that's kind of how I feel like Jack is. She's the Indiana Jones and in Raiders of the Lost Ark. I. She served one purpose. And the purpose was to obfuscate the mystery for us. So she was a plot she, device like Indiana she, Jones. Well, if you think about a magic trick, 
she was the curtain around the table. Mm. She was the pretty assistant in the glittery dress, drawing your attention over here while the magician's doing something over here. I, part of me would be interested to know, and there's no way that you can do this now, obviously, because you know how the book ends. I would be interested if you just read Alea and Valerian's chapters, if it would play out a little different because she was the classic misdirection of, oh, it's Phadix, it's the assassin, I know it's him, right? So, and because of her, because Tyrion gave her that and he's a trusted authority, we trust Tyrion's knowledge and his instincts. And because we trust Jack's insight, yeah, she was the distraction. Which was good on one hand. It was interesting because I got to the end and I was like, oh, you son of a bitch. But yeah, at the end, I was like, oh, she really didn't do anything. And she didn't, other than some like history and some color, I should say, I would say the first half of the book, her chapters are very interesting. I will say this about her. It kind of shows you the spinning wheels that goes on and the council and and you know the administratum as a whole yes she's doing all this work staying up all you know losing all this sleep blah 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 and for nothing yes it's kind of yes she definitely shows the futility mm -hmm. of terran politics which okay now i'm kind of selling myself on her retrospectively because yeah she shows all of that and i also like the fact that she shows that it doesn't matter how good your spy network is or how good your information is or how well you think you know this you're still fallible and keep in mind she's young mm -hmm. in all the ways that matter she is a very young lord and she's uh this is her first year being chancellor trying to wrangle in everybody and what a time what a time it it was her first rodeo. <laughs> and what a rodeo. Oh I my mean... god. Yeah, well, you definitely understood that Tyrion was correct to retire. Yeah. This at the end done. of the last book, at the end of the last book, when he said that he retired, I was like, quitter. <laughs> you had the right of it, sir. Yeah, he was pretty much just like, yeah, you know what? I've done this for hundreds of years. I, I, I'm out. I'm done. Like, I don't know Peace. the game anymore, so I'm out. Clearly. Um, yeah. So that was that was a little disappointing to me because I was like, oh, you really didn't do anything. The only thing that I loved, because I was getting really pissed with her, mm -hmm. is she's sitting there. She has a bead from Valerian on her thing, and she's just like, well, there's nothing I can do. So when the Calidus was like, um, are, are you going to use that thing that I let you keep? <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I kept wondering why she wasn't doing anything either. Right? Speaking of that, actually, one of the things that pissed me off until the end was the whole thing with Lacrimosa. So first off... <laughs> oh, yeah, the unsolved mystery, that. So first off, this is really random, but as I was reading it, I was like, oh, oh my God, it's that one woman, the woman who was Abaddon's uh, trusted counselor because she's called the Weeping Lady. And Jim was like, I don't think Chris Raid expected everyone to have taken a semester of Latin. 
because lacrimose means to cry. I know what lacrimose and, means, but I right, but I didn't know so, about the weeping lady. So, well, remember they said it in the um, Black Legion book because that's where he meets up with her. And you haven't read the Hansu Chronicles, so in Hansu Chronicles, he goes and he tracks that lady down, and they mention her as being the weeping woman. So, anyways, that was different. But I was so goddamn angry because I was like, you had this huge plot thing, and Valerian even mentions it. And Chris Wright forgot about it, apparently. And then in the end. I'm just I saving it for the next book. I'm so sorry, Chris. <laughs> in my notes, I actually, towards the end there, I was like, and where the fuck is Lacrimosa? Oh. All right, I gotta pull my phone, because I'm meaning to Third ask book. you about the certain text that you sent. That even after I finished it, I was just like, what is she mad about? Huh? Oh, oh, that's what it, oh, maybe that might have been what it was. Um, because I was like, where is this lady? Especially if it's going to be that woman. Uh, I can't think of her name right now. It's something, it's something as subtle as most Games Workshop stuff okay, is, like is. Morgana. I swear to fuck all, if spoiler turns out to be spoiler, I will shit. I'm hoping it's just a bad choice of name. How many fucking people can have the same fucking title in this wide ass universe? It was late and I'd been drinking. Um, I can tell. But I... That still... was Lacrimosa. If okay. it was going to be that... I can't think of her name right now. But um, it's, again, it's something really blatant like Morgana. But if it was going to be her again, I was like, how many like places can this woman have her fingers in? Especially since the Hanso Chronicles kind of establishes that she's a little remote right now. She's a little busy. Um, busy doing nothing and being banished. Um, so anyways, that's why I was like, how many people are going to be called the weeping woman? And, uh, well, lack, okay. Lacrimose, I guess. Okay. Anyways. Well, we know that Kane's on Terra right now. Yes. Maybe he brought her. Oh, he hated her. And she gets banished from Abaddon. Abaddon gets rid of her after she can't give him the answers that he wants. Uh, anyways, <laughs> like, not my Abaddon. Um, I was so happy at the end. So here's the question that I've been leading up to because I'm getting a little distracted because I've been drinking. Um, where do a lady, because we only drink when we read Chris Rate books. Where well, do a lady, not only that, but we're having some quarantinis. Hey! Um, oh, I suddenly wish I had a, quor a quarantini. I just have whiskey. Um, so where do Alea and Valerian go from here? Well, Valerian goes a hunt in Lacrimosa. Yeah, and Alea goes back to reestablishing. Uh, well, well, she said that you know now she has her purpose. She's basically going to be creating a whole bunch of vigilantes. <laughs> really pissed off, soulless vigilantes. I love it. Yes, that's her deal she and valerian are clearly going to see each other again because he gave her a dagger which he can track her through which means they're engaged now <laughs> when he gave her that dagger i was like oh they're going steady and when it turned out that he could <laughs> he could track her with it i was like oh they're engaged if he can track her with that's a stalker carrie don't fucking take this from me. It's not stalking when you want to be stalked. When she's like, I'm going to keep this. I was like, oh, they are engaged. 
I'm why we can't have nice things, you guys. I am legit why we can't. Um, yes. So, obviously, they're going to cross paths again. But does a Valerian cross paths again with Gulliman? Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. What does Valoris's last line mean when he tells... Um, you may tell him in that case, all is well on Terra, he said. You may tell him that all unfolds according to his designs. There you go. It's Anatos Gambit. He knew. <laughs> he knew, dummy. He knew. He you was like, you know what? These people are problems. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, and there was a whole thing when Gulliman got there. He and Valoris are like besties now. They spent a lot of time together. You know, Valoris, yes, they did. Valoris took him down to see his dad. Mm-hmm. And he probably came out and might needed a hug after that. You know. Like, it's been, like, it was a really tough conversation. And why can't I not think of the custodies who's running around with him in the Dark Millennium? Like, yes, thank you. That guy, how has that guy not gotten on board yet? Oh, Everybody else is like oh, totally team Gulliman. You know, after the end of well, the plague end, war, yeah. he is on board. <laughs> you might be safe from the Primarch, but not from me. <laughs> loved it. So good. And I loved Colquan um, the whole time because he was so snarky. It was adorable. Well, especially when you compare it now reading these books and you compare him to Valerian. Right. He should have chosen Valerian. Um, I'm just now, I think Valerian's in a is in the best spot. He right. needed someone snarky like Cole Kwan so we could right. convert him. He didn't need to convert Valerian. Dude, That's you know true. you're on camera, right? I do. <laughs> and you just went off camera. My cat has been freaking out for like 20 minutes and I've been texting people in my house like, please come let the cat out. Please come let the cat out. And nobody has. So how to let the to be fair, I told her to choose in or out on the way out. But if anybody here owns a cat. Anyways, <laughs> now she's clawing to get back in. Of course. Cats, everyone. <laughs> cats. Um, so, okay. So Valerian goes and he hunts down Lacrimosa. Alea needs to, like, hook up with him again, though, because it sounds like maybe, you know, that I'm just saying that you can always use a sister of silence to whom you're engaged. <laughs> Like, you could always use the Sister of Silence, especially if you're going after, oh, I don't know, the Weeping Woman. Probably he's a little warp-touched, you know, just a thought. Slightly. Just saying slightly. Yes. Uh, so, I wonder what would happen if Alea tried to go see the Emperor. You know what? There's actually a few people. Actually, you know, so... When she talks about landing on Terra and she's like, this place is a shithole. Like, everything's just crunched and destroyed and this place sucks. And then she talks about meeting Gulliman and she's like, yeah, he just looks like an old man. I would love to know how the sisters see Mortarian. I will, like the demon princes, Mm -hmm. I would love to know how they see them. And yes, I do wonder how they would see the emperor. Because they could easily get in. Because oh, yeah. none of his, you know, warp barriers are going to work on them. Right. Well, and he also, he valued the Sisters of Silence as well. 
I well, yeah, he was the chief guy anti warp fuckery. <laughs> That's why he built the webway. Pretty much, Magnus, <laughs> who did everything wrong. Anyways, um, next time your husband has the argument about Eisenhorn meaning well, tell him so did Magnus. It's true, because Eisenhorn is also a heretic traitor. And Magnus did mean well. Just so people know, that is legitimately like an argument that we have at least once a month. Somehow, something that we're reading will tie back to Eisenhorn, in which, I, of course, I will refer to him as a heretic, and I will then be explained to that he is not a heretic. And I have to laugh and say, you were wrong, sir. So, yes, Eisenhorn did nothing wrong, just like Magnus. Um, it's really hard. I don't really have a leg to stand on, though, when my favorite Primarchs are Conrad Kurz and Perturbo. So, but then again, as I always say, I know heresy. <laughs> those motherfuckers are heretics uh, so i guess literally we know that obviously their roads take them to a third book and i'm so excited oh there better was, be a third book motherfucker i was actually a little bummed when i got to the end of this book because i was like dude it's gonna be at least two years before we get a third one that's true that's it the good news is is that all of these guys seem to be just cranking them out. Maybe we'll get a second Lords of Silence book in the meantime. Full body chills. All right, that's enough. <laughs> so speaking of trilogies, though, are given that we are stuck in our homes. The Black quarantine. Library is closed. <laughs> Adepticon got canceled, which we should be there right now. Yeah. And... The Black Library's closed for a while, so we're going to use this time to get caught up on some of the books that we should have read a while ago, including Josh Reynolds' fabulous Bill series, starting with Primogenitor. I, uh, yeah, I got nothing to say other than I really hate Fabulous Bill, and I really don't like the Emperor's Children, so I have issued quite the large cha challenge to Josh Reynolds. I don't think anybody likes the Emperor's Children. Oh, that's not true. I do know some people who like the Emperor's Children, but um, I don't know anybody who likes him in particular. Well, you know what? We had a couple of our listeners, hi, who said that by the end of the book, we're going to like Fabulous Bill. So yeah, I saw some of their points on that. One of their points was that, you know, no matter what he did, he didn't do anything himself. You know, it was all experimentation. Like, oh, he, never, right. he never committed to Slanesh. He's never, you know, done these various things. He's never altered himself. You know, but if he had willing participants, more the merrier, right? So well, that's in, I think that's an Angel Exterminatus when... <laughs> This is when Fulgrim is really trying to ascend to demonhood and all the Emperor's children are off doing their things. Fabulous Bill has all these chapters in which he's torturing these, I think it's a Raven Guard. Uh, there's Raven Guard there, maybe a White Scar. Some of the people from Istvan. And, um, Just for funsies? Yeah. Well, not really. He's experimenting. And they say something about like all the demon and warp fuckery. And he's just like yeah my brothers can go waste their time over there i'm doing what matters 
So I'm a little excited about it, I have to admit. So we're going to read this one, and then following that, we'll read the second book. And then when the third book comes out this year, we're going to be ready when the Black Library opens again. Um, <laughs> we will be on it. We will be on it. Um, I actually really sincerely hope that the Black Library doesn't just then be like, oh, here were the four books that we were going to release. So then we're like, oh, God, we have all this stuff to catch up on. So us diving into fabulous bill yeah, I haven't. because josh reynolds yes it is josh reynolds and like i was, t- I was talking to you and i said you know the only time i was ever like really entertained by fabulous bill was when i was reading the fulgrim primark yes. novel and he like and fulgrim just kept like you know poking and poking and poking needling him and then i was like wait who wrote that book went back upstairs and looked and it was josh reynolds of course right so Look, if anybody can make him likable, it's going to be Josh Reynolds, I guess is what I'm saying here. So so I guess what you're really saying is that you want to read Lucas the Trickster after this. Get the fuck out. <laughs> well, Josh Reynolds wrote it. Done! <laughs> well, no. We went for 25 episodes. It was a good run. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> good run, everybody. We're out. I can't work with this woman anymore. I, I mentioned um, Lucas the Trickster and she's done. If anybody wants to join as my co-host for this podcast, please send your resume. Um, excuse um, me, I'm the one hosting this. <laughs> you can send me your resume. <laughs> okay, so we're going to stay together and then <laughs> we're engaged, even though I didn't give you a knife. Anyways, do you want to take us out, Carrie? I don't even know where to go with that, but I will. <laughs> I showed you my knife, respond. Phrasing. Anyway, um, you, I can't even do the closing, but you've listened to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding Watchers of the Throne, The Regent's Shadow by Chris Raitt. Please join us for our next book, The First Fabulous Bill Book by Josh Reynolds. And I really do need to stop saying Fabulous Bill because I keep Googling Fabulous Bill instead of Fabius Bile. Fabius Bile. <laughs> Progenitor. We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and the podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Our site also has articles about our adventures in reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crowd. Good night, everybody. Good night. was hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.